to mind and heart conjure a determination determined <coughs> to alleviate the sufferings of all and out of this determination we are going to meditate on wisdom Play this in your mind over and over again until this determination becomes strong and fills your whole being. somewhere there is an understanding that meditation is a key. Holding this in your mind, when you go to your body, just being aware of the body, the body also at some level takes on this determination and understands how meditation is key. So the body naturally seeks a posture that is conducive to meditation. A posture where the body is both comfortable and stable. Holding on to this state of mind. Just become aware of the legs and let them find the comfort and stability that they are seeking. Let them rest there. Bring your mindfulness to the, to the hands and also let them find that posture that they are looking for that is conducive to meditation. A posture that has both comfort and stability. Bring your attention to the elbows. Let them find that place that is neither too far nor too close to the body. Shoulders. Just let them go. That place that is even and relaxed. gives you a sense of confidence in the posture itself, a sense of confidence that will be reflected in the mind. Center the head and neck. Mouth, teeth, tongue, find their natural places. 
whatever you feel is conducive for the eyes, adapt that posture for the eyes, closed, open or half opened. Then gently bring your attention to the breath. No intentions to control the breath, to force the mind to focus on the breath. Not even any concerns about doing, needing to do something about distractions. Just know that you are breathing in as you are breathing in. Know that you are breathing out as you are breathing out. And whatever else you may become aware of, no need to chase them, no need to focus on them. As long as you know that you're breathing in as you're breathing in. Breathing out as you are breathing out, you are doing your job. Following the out breath, keep following it, maintaining your mindfulness until you become aware of the change, the shift into an in breath. Keep following the in breath until you become aware of the shift to out back to out breath. This measure of continuity of awareness on the breath, have the intention to keep this continuity continue, unbroken, while you follow 11 cycles of breath. If the continuity is broken by the mind being completely unaware of the breath, then go back and start over again, gently.
atmosphere of your mindfulness, the sense of ease, the sense of calmness that you felt earlier in the body, how it is now reflected in the breath itself, how it is further reflected in the mind itself. that intention to follow, to keep the continuity unbroken, let it now be on with staying within this ever-deepening sense of ease, this ever-deepening sense of tranquility. space in front of you at about the level of your eyebrows, about an arm's length or prostration's distance from you. While focusing in that space, contemplate your determination again. Determine the welfare of all beings. We're going to search for the ultimate truth, the ultimate remedy for their suffering. The ultimate means to true happiness. achieve that realization, that state, through what means, what did you depend on, who did you depend on? And feel the presence of this very means in that space. actual infallible means through which you will have achieved that goal. And find within you that measure of conviction that indeed you are in the very presence of what is for you your infallible means of achieving your goal. Holding on to that measure of conviction, demonstrate your reverence in your mind, prostrate, Place yourself under the protection and guidance by entrusting yourself. Take refuge. Strengthen your faith in the goal that you seek 
your capacity to achieve it. And that the fact that you are indeed being infallibly being guided to that goal. in your imagination Specifically, their suffering conditions. And see how limited you are in being able to help. These limitations came into existence through your obstacles, your own efforts. to be free of these obstacles. Admit your faults, the actions committed under the force of habits. And again, entrust yourself, taking refuge. make a promise to restrain from such activities in the future.
we would continue to do these four powers until we feel a sense of lightness, a sense of almost self-forgiveness, as a, a burden has been lifted. And let your mind take joy in this sense. the refined quality of the mind while it is in a state of rejoicing. To help further refine the state of mind, let your rejoicing extend to all measures of goodness, yours and others. still embracing all beings, being aware of their sufferings, being aware of the happiness that they seek. all beings with such compassion and love, you become aware that through your infallible guide you are connected to all the enlightened beings. And with this realization you make a request that these enlightened beings come into the lives of all these suffering beings into their lives, help them to become truly free of their problems, help them to find true happiness, and to stay in their lives until they are truly free, truly happy.
the very means of fulfilling the objective of your determination is right in front of you. about your meditation, the obstacles, the realizations you seek. Dedicate the merit, the power of the merit you gained so far to help you succeed in your meditation. strong wishes to be free of your obstacles. Think of the meditation you're about to do, what you need to realize, what you're seeking to realize, and make very strong wishes for the obstacles to be removed. Obstacles that are found that manifest within, that manifest as though outside, and make very strong wishes to gain the realizations you seek. to become inseparable with this infallible guide. By the power of your aspiration, 
that bright presence dissolves into a tiny point of light. The very realization you seek stripped of all elaborations. See and feel it descend through the crown of your head. And with affirmation, see it become inseparable with your mind within your heart center. back to your breath. Take a snapshot of the tranquil state. guide you, slowly become aware of the body once more. Tonight I brought a little friend. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we are doing uh, the last verse of the eight verses of mind training. And as you recall, the mind training is not necessarily training your mind on how to do tricks, you know, how to uh, add numbers fast or anything like that, but it's, it's the mind of I- uh, that seeks enlightenment, 
how do you train your how do you train yourself in that mind to acquire it and having acquired it how do you strengthen it how do you bring it to its ultimate uh, uh, manifestation so the eighth basically it's saying uh, if you summarize uh, all the verses it, sa it says these are the two things that you need to train your mind in bodhicitta conventional bodhicitta which is a sense of uh, uh, urgent wish, uh, urgent sense of wanting to, uh, urgent concern for the welfare of others, where you take on yourself the responsibility of bringing about this welfare. That's the one, uh, one half of it. Well, not really one half. It's <laughs> the first seven, the first well, seven and a half, seven and first seven and a half verses, and the last two lines uh, deals with the other things that you should train your mind in, and that's wisdom. Okay. And uh, to sort of help, the, the training, uh, I, I said something last time, I don't, want you I don't want you to have the wrong understanding. When I said that uh, uh, when you have uh, a true understanding or if you have a close to uh, a direct understanding of wisdom or of the true nature of reality, it, there should also be accompanying that a deep emotional experience. I didn't mean to say that emptiness itself is an emotion. Emptiness is not an emotion. Okay. But when you have a direct experience of it, accompanying that, there is also simultaneously a deep emotional experience. If there isn't a deep emotional experience, either the emotion of great fear and dread, because you have now completely shattered what you thought was, was, was reality. So that should bring about great fear and great dread. And after some experience with it, then there should be a great, a great feeling of freedom and great emo uh, emotion of, of, of bliss, of, of, uh, of happiness, of contentment. Okay? So if there isn't one of those or something similar to any of those emotional experiences, if it just remains an intellectual, uh, 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 intellectual feeling, that you're not really dealing with emptiness. Okay. Emptiness is not definitely not just an intellectual object for you to play around with your mind. Okay. And taking that into consideration, so when you are meditating on wisdom, uh, where, are, where are you supposed to, uh, at what point are you supposed to arrive? And also, in the meditation itself, I'm not talking about uh, uh, the direct perception of emptiness. I'm not talking about right now uh, the place, the point where you become what is called an Arya, a superior being, because compared to all other ordinary beings who don't know what the reality, what the true nature of reality is, you're superior to them in that sense. Okay, and you are definitely on your way out of of the wheel of suffering. So. I'm not talking about becoming that end in a sense of becoming that being. I'm talking about the objective in, in, a, in a sense of when you are doing the meditation, at what point can you say that you are meditating on emptiness? What is appearing to your mind and what cognition do you have in your mind, you're holding in your mind at the same time? Okay? That tells you, uh, I'm meditating on emptiness. Okay. So, uh, after... I'm going all the way to the end of the wisdom chapter. <laughs> I'm not going to all the struggle of the debates, 
that's supposed to happen in the wisdom chapter of uh, this uh, Master Shantideva's Bodhisattva's uh, uh, way of life. Uh, and the debate style, by the way, is uh, is just Stephen Batchelor's. Okay, he decided to make it into a debate style. The the actual uh, uh, guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life is in verse form from beginning to end. Okay, so to help us understand this wisdom chapter, Stephen Batchelor decided to put it into a debate form, so we can understand what is it that uh, what what invisible voice is uh, Master Shantideva refuting or is arguing, uh, seem to be uh, arguing with. Okay. But the very last part of it, he leaves it uh, alone in verse form. Okay, that's what I'm going to. So after all that debate, after you understand all that, uh, what's uh, the different wrong understandings of what, what is the, re- the true nature of reality and the subtle wrong understandings of what is the true nature of reality, then this should be this sh- these verses now should start making sense to you. Okay. But if you go straight to these verses without having some understanding of what is it that those misunderstandings really are, just uh, refuting them, uh, just bypassing them without really understanding them, without really grasping what is it that they were seeing, what is it that they were co- that they are calling the true nature of the true nature of reality, and what is it and and that way you can say that way when you analyze it through the Mahayamika way, then you can then you can sort of see exactly where the mistakes are. Okay. Otherwise, you're just refuting things without even understanding what you're refuting. Okay. You're uh, you're you're siding with the Mahayamika because everyone says they're right, <laughs> not because you're proving that they're right. Okay. And uh, to sort of give you a taste of the the profundity of Mahayamika, uh, Jason Kappa. Uh, when Jason Kappa was uh, after Jason Kappa, you know, is, is already teaching Madhyamika Prasangika. He's already writing about Madhyamika Prasangika. Now he's having visions of the embodiment of of wisdom. And you know, uh, so um, Manjushri, uh, which uh, school would you say I am? <laughs> and then Manjushri tells Jason Kappa, "You're not even the first one." Okay. And this is this is not. Jason Gaba is about to begin, he's a student, he's already a, a teacher, okay? And this is about what is it that, what, what is the level of your, uh, what, what we were referring to as your unconscious conviction, okay? Just because you hear Madhya Bekapasanika as the highest school, and you want to be with the highest school, so you start thinking, well, I am of the highest school. And you don't even understand what Madhya uh, uh, the, the supposedly lower schools, what is it that being, what is being refuted? You don't really understand that yet. So you have to really understand it. And the way you uh, uh, make yourself understand it is try to see their point of view. <coughs> try to see how they may be right. Okay? How is it that they could be, in what way they could be right? What is it that they're looking at? In what way, when you look at what they're saying, you can say, oh, I see why you're saying that. It's like uh, the story of the eight blind men or something, touching an elephant. Is it eight or... Or six, I don't remember <laughs> the number. Uh, I didn't see any of them. <laughs> so when one of them touches one part and say, "Oh, this is a an elephant is a tree," and one says, "Oh, the elephant is a snake," okay? And of course, an elephant is not a tree. Of course, an elephant is not a snake. But if you understand what is it that they were looking at, you can say, "Oh, I see why you say that," 
and because I now see why you say that, and I'm trying, and I see what you're trying to describe, let me tell you why you're why you're wrong. Okay. So unless you can say how you see how the Vajrabhashikas, what is it that they're seeing, and you can say, oh, I see what you're seeing. Okay. Now I, it's because you're looking at it this way. That's why you're seeing it that you you be drawing this conclusion. Okay. You have to be able to do that. Okay. So after you've done all that, now we are up to okay. And these verses, and the, the reason also for being careful with these verses, because you can be complete, you, you can, these verses will completely mess you up if you don't understand the point of view of what, being, of what, of what is being said. Remember, the, uh, the, verse, the, the, the verse says, uh, all phenomena, uh, see, view all phenomena as, as illusions. Okay? Learn to see all phenomena as illusions. And remember, what does it mean to, to, to for something to be an illusion, and how is it of, uh, how is it that uh, how in what way is he saying that all phenomena are like illusions? Okay, so when you understand that somewhat, then these verses may make some sense. Okay, and if you are looking at them critically, you have to look at them from the starting from the starting point, not with saying they make sense. I'm going to make sense out of them. Let them prove to you that they make sense. Okay? Really, don't be afraid of criticizing it. Okay? Don't be afraid of saying, don't be afraid of coming up to a conclusion, Nagarjuna was completely wrong. Don't be afraid of that. We are in search of truth here. Alright? We're not looking for who to bow to. Okay? What is there to gain and what is there to lose? Which things that are empty of true existence in this way. Who is there to pay me respect? And who is there to abuse me? Now keep that with that illusion, okay? So let me ask you that question. Hold, uh, now that you know uh, the eighth verse, view all things as an illusion, okay, can you answer these questions for Master Shantideva? What is there to gain? What is there to gain? <laughs> what is there to gain? Nothing. An illusion. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. What is there to lose? An illusion. Okay. With things that are empty of true existence in this way. So when things are empty of existence in this way, when things are illusion-like, what are you gaining? What are you losing? And When you look at this from the, uh, uh, how the emotional impact of how we grasp, grasp onto things, when we, uh, when we feel that we are losing something, when we feel we are gaining something, how it makes us feel, how it makes us behave. Now, when you see those things that are being gained and those things that, are being, that, that, are, that, that you are losing, as when you understand them that they are illusion-like, then that dysfunctional sense of... Uh, that dysfunctional uh, state that we are brought into, we are free of it. Okay. Oh, that thing that I gain is an illusion. That thing that I lost is an illusion. And those things that I've gained in the past, they were illusions. Those things I'm going to gain in the future, I'm striving hard to gain, they are all illusions to do. And it's because they're illusions that I will gain them. It's because that they're illusions, I must work hard to get them. 
Not that, ah, the illusions, forget it. Do something else. Okay. What else is there, remember? What thing, what else is there that is not an illusion? You're not going to find something that is not an illusion. You can say, oh, finally, I found the happiness that is not an illusion. Now I am happy for real. Okay. There's n- that happiness doesn't exist. What happiness exists? Illusion. The illusion one. <laughs> okay. So, who is there to pay you respect? The illusion person. <laughs> That's who is there to pay you respect. And who is there to abuse you? The illusion. And who is the you who is being respected? Who is the you who is being abused? An illusion. It has never been anything other than that. It will never be anything other than that. Okay. Or samsaric being who is having a samsaric uh, uh, wonderful moment when you are being praised. The praise is an illusion. You are an illusion. The person praising you is an illusion. On your subside, being awful things are happening, people are abusing you, the abuser is an illusion, you are an illusion, and the abuse is an illusion. When you finally free yourself from this samsaric illusion, now you're in the nirvana illusion. Okay. And who's there in nirvana that is enjoying nirvana? An illusion. What is the nirvana that they're enjoying? An illusion. And who are those people who are praising you or in nirvana? They are still an illusion. Okay. There is not a place you can go where you're not going to find an illusion. If you find something, you have found an illusion. Okay. Listen to that. When you have found something, you have found an illusion. Okay. Keep that in mind. We're going to get to somewhere in there. <laughs> okay, now you can now answer the questions. They're not, very e- not very easy questions to answer. From what are pleasure and pain derived? Come on. <laughs> we can break this down into many parts, right? The pleasure is? The pain is? The, <laughs> the cause of the pleasure is? The cause of the pain is? And the one experiencing the pleasure and the pain is? Okay. <laughs> you are smart. <laughs> what is there to be happy or unhappy about? Is this a trick question? <laughs> what is there to be happy or unhappy about? An illusion. That's what's there to be happy about. That's what's there to be unhappy about. Okay? We all discussed the, the, the happiness and the unhappiness. The thing that you're happy about, what is it? What is it? It's an illusion. That's what you can be happy about. That's what you can not be happy about. The illusion. So when I search for the ultimate nature, who is there to crave? And what is there to crave for? Okay. Upon analysis, this world of living beings is found to have no true existence. What does that mean? They have no true existence. The illusions. <laughs> okay. Now it doesn't say, upon analysis, the world stops to exist. 
so upon analysis, these very beings, this very world that we are experiencing, we come to know, aha, you're an illusion. How are you? How you been? <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, who can die here? Who can die here? Who can die here? An illusion. Better believe it, an illusion can die. <laughs> and that's the only one who can ever die. An illusion. What is there to come and what has been? Mm. Okay, this is a tricky one. Who are friends and who are relatives? <laughs> okay, alright. Maybe this last paragraph, people, that's it. You don't need to go any further. <laughs> now, this last paragraph is when you're doing meditation on emptiness, right? Remember, what, what is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're all heartedly looking for? Something that's not an illusion? Yeah, something that is not an illusion. You're wholeheartedly, whole, uh, wholeheartedly looking for that. That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for emptiness. You're going to arrive at emptiness. Right? But you don't, you don't go looking for it. Okay? So, when you are wholeheartedly looking for something that is not an illusion, something that truly exists, this thing that is making you go become dysfunctional, when you're really looking for it, there's a cognition that happens at the end of the, of the, of the search and there's also an appearance to the mind that, uh, that, hap- that uh, appears at the end of the search. Okay, hold that in mind. Or you, who are investigating reality, please recognize, as I have done, that all is just like space. Don't be confused. Those who wish to be happy are greatly disturbed by causes for conflict and overjoyed by the causes of, for pleasure. Okay. So what is the cognition that you have? What is the realization real realization that you have. Object I'm looking for exist. Yeah. The object you're looking for doesn't exist. And what is that object you're looking for? Me. The thing that's not an illusion. The thing that is not an illusion. Not you. The thing the me that is not an uh, an illusion. You have to remember to, to qualify it that way. Okay? And also when you explain it to others so that others will not get confused about do I exist? Will I exist? And who's asking the question? <laughs> And w- and what is the appearance? Coming up empty. Yeah. What what is the empty? What is the appearance of coming up empty? Empty space. Empty space. Okay. Now, peop- uh, uh, meditators and and, and uh, somewhat meditators, scholars, uh, they misunderstand this appearance as being the realization of emptiness itself. Like just that pure appearance is is not emptiness. Okay. It is those two things combined. Why is there space like appearance? Why is there the appearance of nothing? Because what you are looking for, that's exactly, it doesn't exist. What you are looking for, what is that that you are looking for? Something that truly exists. If there was something that truly exists, they wouldn't see space. You would see that thing that truly exists. 
since that thing that really exists doesn't exist, <laughs> then the appearance of that thing that truly exists is what you see before you. Space. It doesn't mean that the thing that you are looking, that thing that, that the, the illusion is made up of space particles or something like that. Well, uh, it depends on the school. I have to go back and <laughs> quickly go back and retract. It's not like, you know, uh, space is somehow compounded and it becomes those things that we experience. That's not, that's not what it means when it talks about like space. And that's, what, that's not what the space experience is. It's not like you were looking at whatever, looking at the floor, and then you keep looking, you keep looking, you keep looking, and you keep saying, oh, it's made out of this and that, okay, you keep looking further, oh, those are made out of this and that, you keep looking and you say, oh, I see, it's, a bun- it's space, you stack up on the, up, up, upon each other and then you, become, you get floor. That's not what it's saying. Okay? You understand that part? And that, because that part it can be very confusing. And a lot of great, uh, well, great scholars have uh, presented pure space as though that's what emptiness is. And you can understand why. Right? When you're looking for that thing that you think truly exists, you come up with this blank. It doesn't mean that things are made of blank. What is made of blank? Hmm? Big blank. Big blank. <laughs> <laughs> things that exist, what are they made out of? Yeah, the various parts and causes and conditions. They're not made out of nothing. They're not made out of space. Pure space, okay? They're made of, out of other things. And what are those things? Made, made of other things. <coughs> is, is, can you find something finally? Okay, this means out of something. Okay, okay, that's something made out of this. This is something made out of that. Can you keep going somewhere? And can you eventually find that? Okay, this is the ultimate stuff that they, everything is made out of. Okay, now you understand something called having a substantial existence. That's what they mean by substantial existence, at least within Buddhist uh, philosophy and things like that. Okay, if you were to find some ultimate substance that you can say, okay, behind this substance, there's nothing else. And this substance is what makes this thing, which makes this thing, eventually you have happiness, eventually you have sadness, eventually you have red, blue, eventually you have uh, people, roaches, table, and all those things. Okay? So if you were to uh, finally arrive at that substance, that would mean that there is substance things are substantial. So since we cannot find that ultimate substance, that nothing else is made out of, that it's not made out of anything else, then we would say, thing, since we cannot find that, that's why I say things are without substance. Things are substance-less. Okay? That's what it means. It doesn't mean that things are, are not heavy. If you hit somebody with, with a, I don't know, with a bat, I don't know why I'm thinking bat, but <laughs> I'm forced to think of bat. <laughs> if you hit somebody with a heavy object like a bat or a hammer or a sledgehammer, like in a cartoon, you know, <laughs> it won't be like the cartoon. <laughs> it will be a very heavy substance, okay? 
that's this is not the kind of substance that they were referring to when they say things are, are without substance. Okay. All right. So since this is supposed to be meditation, so I wanted you to have an understanding of what is this when you meditate in emptiness. What is this emptiness that is the object of your meditation? What 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 are the components that comes together for you to make, put the label or emptiness? Is the cognition, the understanding? Ah, I didn't find what I was, what I thought truly existed, and you're looking at not finding it. And what is the not finding it appear like? As if you were, if you could look at it, if you could see it with your eyes, if you could listen to it, if you could touch it, if you could apply all your senses to it, what would your senses pick up? Empty space. Empty space. But it's not the empty space which is the the thing that you were examining. The thing you were looking for and the thing you were examining are two different things. The person, the object, the you, that's not what you are examining, that's not what you're looking for. Okay? If you can't find yourself, bump yourself in a wall, against a wall, you will find yourself. <laughs> okay? If for some reason you can't find yourself, bump against a wall and have somebody to slap you, okay? <laughs> when you have that uh, self-awareness, you have found yourself, okay? But there is a self that you think exists that doesn't exist. That is the self that you're looking for. That is a self that because it doesn't exist, you come up empty. Okay? It's not that... And, and, and of course, the reason that in the in the in the Prajnaparamita scriptures, in the wisdom scriptures. The reason that the Buddha doesn't qualify things by saying, well, it's the you that you think doesn't exist that you think exists. I mean, the Buddha doesn't, doesn't feel to say all these words, because he's talking to you, to you emotionally. Uh, uh, he wants to have an emotional experience to what he's saying, okay? He said, you don't exist. Without having to qualify, well, when I met you, I mean, the, the you that you think exists, but the you that exists, exists. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to go through all that, you know, that's a lot of words. But when you have that, because what we are 99.99% holding on to as me is that me that doesn't exist, so you might as well say that, you might as well just, just say you don't exist. Okay? And as a matter of fact, it's a good meditation for you. Uh, when you're doing, oh, okay. When you're doing that meditation on yourself, looking for yourself, look for yourself. Don't begin by thinking, I'm looking for the self that I think doesn't exist, but which doesn't really exist. It's not going to have that emotional impact. Look for you. And be completely bugged out when you can't find you. Okay? Because that you is that you that you're grasping onto, that you think exists. That's what you cannot find. Okay? And that's what, we th that's what we think exists already. So no, need, no, no further need to further qualify it. Okay? If you qualify it, you're going to be really thinking about some other you. Okay? Or yeah, they talk about some me that doesn't exist. Okay, I'll look for that me that doesn't exist, that they talk about. But I am here. And when, you say, when, you, when we are saying I am here, we are grasping onto that me that doesn't exist. I'll prove it to you. When something bad happens to you, you become dysfunctional. When something happen, happy happens to you, you become dysfunctional. Dysfunctionally happy. <laughs> or dysfunctionally sad. Why? Because you, you think that you really exist. That's why you become dysfunctional. In various degrees of dysfunction. 
Okay. The reason I become extremely angry or extremely whatever is because the me that we think something is happening to without having to intellectualize it is that me that doesn't exist. How come we think that something happens to me that, that like I find that there's no me uh-huh. I don't understand how I can feel something at that moment is my problem. Yeah, that me that you think exists which doesn't exist cannot feel anything. So how come I feel something? That means that is an illusion can feel something. That's the only me that ever that ever felt anything. <laughs> that means that is an illusion. And what does it mean that means that means an illusion? And that's confusing. That's confusing? Yeah, the me that's yeah. The me that is an illusion is, is the me that exists. Why why does that me exist? Because all the causes and conditions came together for that me to exist. And that's why it's called an illusion. It's an illusion because it's made up of not me's. Okay. That's, why that's why it's an illusory me. I am me. It, it appears to be completely me and nothing but me. But when you really look at it, you don't see any me there. You see a bunch of other. Okay. Yeah, so it's almost wrong to call it me then. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the only me that I have ever been. I know. Still though. Yeah. Still yeah. Sometimes it's wrong to call it me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is it then that um, reincarnates? Oh, all the causes and conditions. The illusion reincarnates? Yeah. No, it's not that uh, there is a substance, remember what I mean by substance? Like if you keep stripping yourself, keep stripping yourself, keep saying, okay, there is, there's that me. There's that me that is nothing else but me. There's no, that doesn't exist. It's just things coming together and then we have me. <coughs> you probably have two kinds of reactions to it. The first time you hear it, it's a bunch of things that comes together and that's me. And then you, see, and then you have some sort of like a, a sense of a, a tiny sense of freedom, I think. A tiny sense of freedom where you don't, almost like you, you, you find yourself not grasping at that moment, at that, at that fraction of a moment. But when, you try to, but when you try to get into the reality of that, there's the sense, oh my God, <laughs> comes to you and says, I better grab onto something, okay? And then, you, you, and then that grabbing onto something makes you feel comfortable because you're familiar with it. And then that sense that you had before, you sort of lo- you lost it. What does it mean? And, and, and you come back to that uh, to that question. What does it mean that a bunch of stuff comes together? That's me. But if you're able to grab on, you can even say it to get to yourself, and then just watch for that fraction of a moment that when you uh, you take it in, and see and feel the freedom that you feel. I mean, you are you're, you're completely free, and you can understand from that point of view of that freedom, you can understand the other side, the, the other side of that first verse where, uh, uh, who is there to abuse, to be abused? Who is there to abuse me? When you're able to hold on to that fraction of a moment, when somebody abused you, and, and you're feeling dysfunctional, <laughs> okay? 
and you can't think straight, you can't uh, act what you were wanting to do, you can't bring yourself to, to be able to do it anymore. But if you're able to grab onto that tiny space of freedom, you find yourself free of that dysfunctional. You find yourself being able to do. Almost as if that truck that was standing in front of you, that wall that was standing in front of you, not, where you were not able to do anything, all of a sudden it disappears. And you're no longer thinking, think, uh, feeling trapped just because somebody abused you, just because somebody mistreated you. Okay? You still go on, you, you still see your path clearly. Oh, that's an uh, illusion. Okay, these are the things that came together for that to happen. Okay, I, I don't like that. Okay, I'm, go, I'm not going to collect those anymore. Okay, and you move on. And then that's all it is. <laughs> and the only reason that this doesn't seem to move us into being not being dysfunctional, I'm not talking about, not talking about no, the slight, the, the normal dysfunction that we all uh, operate in normally. <laughs> okay. it's, it's exactly just that. Okay, a problem comes. Ah. It's because of this and that, this and that. That's why there's a piece of the problem. Okay. And that's it. It's just the way, same way I'm being stoic right now with that. Oh, there's a problem. All right. It's this and that coming together. Okay. Now that's why I'm calling it a problem. You need to throw this in there. Okay. It's no longer a problem. <laughs> okay. Now all the causes and conditions for problems are not there anymore. Now all causes and conditions for something else is there. And that's all things are. That's all they will always be. Buddhahood, okay. Get some compassion, mix it with, mix it with a little <laughs> love, <laughs> add some true understanding. Boom! <laughs> 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 okay. I was wondering if maybe to make it less confusing, instead of saying me, you can name it by your name. Or that, uh, I would say, make calling it, saying your name instead of. That really will make it. Uh, uh, somebody brought that term nicely last time. Visceral. It makes it visceral. It makes you really like really experiencing it. Yeah. Really, really. Just say your name. Yeah. I think just just to add to that, I remember mm-hmm. maybe ten years ago when we were reviewing this, and one of the things that you had, you had said was that you could think of it, it as what what responds when someone calls my name. Because when when you do that, you kind of get into this. If someone says Warren, what what part of me, what I think is me, what part, what part of me responds, and then you can kind of get deeper into the the me. Yeah. Because that's really visceral. If someone calls you, mm-hmm. this part of you that's always. And so you, you can use that also. But also, I feel like this makes it easier to like you think, oh, this person is abusing Emma. Uh huh. But so it's a way of feeling free. It's like. Mm-hmm. I happen to be ever in that life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like a sum of con- causes and conditions that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that's what ever is, just causes and conditions coming together. All right. Uh, an introduction to what we're going to talk about next time. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is the eight. Remember the eight things? Remember, I told you uh, there are two ways of. of uh, of uh, understanding the eight, either the eight worldly concerns, which are you know, being happy, being sad, or no, being happy when you're happy. Well, I forgot. Day, day, day. Can get into the translation too, too well. Uh, no, but we talked about last time. <laughs> and uh, the other. This class was at the Wednesday class. 
the this this class last time, right? Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, we were introduced. <laughs> 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 we introduced that last time. Uh, and also, uh, so if you if you remember the Hot Sutra, and w- when uh, after listing every uh, listing the different uh, heaps and the different uh, uh, phenomena, then it goes into all phenomena. Therefore, all phenomena are empty. They have no def- they have no characteristics. It depends on whose translation. No, either characteristics or definition. They have no characteristics. They have n- they're, they're not born. They're not, uh, they're not, they're not, they don't stop, and so on and so forth. So these eight are also these eight that they're also being referred to here to free yourself from these eight. That is, be free yourself from holding on to these eight attributes as having true existence. Okay. When you understand these, also you are free from from. Uh, from attachment and grasping. Right, so we we'll go more in, more into that next time. Somebody had his or her hand up. So when we realize we are nothing else than the result, the causes, how do we step out of it? Like we're not anymore affected by the result of the causes. Oh no no that's. That's what you are, the result of the causes. <laughs> but to see emptiness, is, is it to stop being affected by the result of the causes? No, no. That's impossible? It's impossible. Okay, so how, how do we change the suffering? Then you understand that since these things arise from causes and conditions, you have to work. You have to bring together causes. There's not going to be a time where you're going to cease to experience results and there's not going to be a time when you're not acquiring causes so since some results are unwanted like this result called samsara so now we're not going to engage in the causes for samsara and now we are going to engage in the causes from f- uh, that will result in this result called freedom from samsara you know, a little love, a little compassion <laughs> Yeah, Mix it nicely with the uh, wisdom. <laughs> I realized uh, until today the confusion, mm. thinking that seeing emptiness will free me from experiencing results. No, unfortunately, that's not the case. But when you when you deeply understand that there's result, that even though you have the the potential to experience, that you can stop because they are just causes and conditions coming together. The causes are causes and conditions coming together. Results are causes and conditions coming together. And at whatever stage they are, they can be manipulated. <coughs> okay. How do we manipulate? <laughs> <laughs> hello, love. Hello, compassion. <laughs> 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 you had your hand up? No? Oh. Just to follow up on that, mm. the suffering is understood as illusory. So it starts to dissolve. Mm. I think it's um, it's it's more that you you realize that there's a part of you that's separate. So you're these things are happening, and you that interacts with the world is experiencing those things. But once you can step back, take a step back from that and separate, you don't have to react. You can watch it like. 
space is where you start to train yourself in choosing how you're interacting with the world when things happen. So you see that sometimes things are what you are used to calling good or what you are used to calling bad. And it's you're on a boat with ways happen. Should happen. <laughs> and you're just you have to make that you're pushing to make that space where you can be a little bit separate so you can see that and not react or choose how you're last to be coming on that is a good, the best testing laboratory that I know for this, um, this happens to be some, is if you're on a plane flight and you hit some turbulence and the plane drops really quickly for about two or three seconds and you watch your mind at that time. It's a very good way of knowing how you're dealing, dealing with these various issues. Especially <laughs> you know how you're dealing with emptiness directly, do you also get uh, insight into, okay, now you have this much life left until the experiment is over? Or yeah. Uh, can't say definite. Maybe. Compassion. <laughs> 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 but you know for certain that it will this 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 cycle will end. You will have this certainty that it will end. The cycle of compulsory rebirth uh, and suffering. You know for certain it will end. And there there's certain closures that, that stop at that point. Yeah, there are certain closures that definitely like stop. Four or something. Or <laughs> out of 128. Out of the eight or that. Yeah. Because even I if you see like, okay, it will take, if <coughs> I, it, now I, I, I have an insight that it will take uh, three lifetimes. And it doesn't mean that that's how it is for everybody. Okay. And there's three lifetimes that you may have insight into. It may not be f Buddhahood. It may be Nirvana. Okay. Like if you, if you just continue as you are making your progress, you will reach nirvana, not necessarily Buddhahood. And you might have insight it will take three lifetimes. Or it might take less or more. Because it all depends on the, on the person once, once they arrive there, what they have with them in that experience, what they brought to that experience. Alright. We have uh, no time. <laughs> 
This is the illusory no. Illusion. This is the illusory no time, not the ultimate no time. <laughs> so quickly, try to recall that tranquil state that I asked you to take a snapshot of. Let your body almost by itself find its place. And as soon as you find a taste of that tranquility, then deliberately bring your attention to your heart center thinking that you are thinking from that point. And observe five cycles of breath to stabilize this taste of tranquility. Then afterwards, first summon that determination out of great compassion, out of great love, need to eliminate the suffering of others. And from that motivation, they're going to look for the true nature of reality. Starting with either the way Warren mentioned, call yourself or think of someone calling you and try to feel, see what feeling comes up and look for that, which is, seems to be responding to, to your calling. Okay.
just observe the state of your mind. From within that state, again, embrace all beings. And dedicate this tranquility of the sufferings of all beings, strongly wishing it. the merits of tonight to the achievement of your ultimate goal. back to your breath staying aware of the breath slowly become aware of the body once more start with the top of your head include more and more of your body until you have your whole body from head to toe Thank you.